Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. thing Pastor uh, David and Corey said to us at the preaching cohort, well, two things. First thing they said is, Don, you're not in the Marine Corps anymore, so don't stand at attention when you're talking to people, (laughs) and don't stand at parade rest, which is going to be kind of hard. But they said if you're going to do this and you want to preach, don't stand at attention, (laughs) said if you're going to do this, Speak from your heart. Tell, let the people find out, our church, find out who you are. Before I start, I want to address something that the pastor said to us all when we started the preaching cohort. This is going to be a war. Satan's not going to like you standing up and preaching. He's not going to like that you're going to serve the Lord. And he's going to do everything it takes throughout the next so many weeks to derail you. (laughs) Funny. Myself personally, I've been struggling just about for everything. Everything in my life from fear to uncertainty, to question every decision I made. <laughs> Second guessing everything. Overeating, definitely over drinking. <laughs> definitely drinking to excess. I consider myself a strong person, and I never wanted to quit anything in my life. As Corey said, I'm a Marine. Marines don't quit. I'm still human. But this time I wanted to quit. I'm telling you this because you can't know me and let me preach to you if if you don't know who I am. I truly wanted to quit and say no to Corey and David. I don't want to do this. I don't have what it takes. And I wanted Corey and David to pat me on the back and go, yeah, you're old. (laughs) And and we forgive you. So you can take a seat. And we'll do this for you. And we'll carry you. But they didn't. I don't want to do this. I just want it to be over today. I just want it to be done. Now, here's what happened and why I'm still here. During all this, I was so worried about writing the sermon sermon, because the other three guys that wrote their sermon have college degrees. 
and they're smart. And me? I'm just a grunt from the Marine Corps. <laughs> I lost track of Jesus because I was so worried about the sermon, about writing the sermon, that I, I, didn't, I didn't think about Jesus. I was thinking about me. Me being in control of what's going on. My rhythms were off. I flat out was wrong. And Jesus was non-existent for me. I stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible because I wanted to be in control. I wanted to come up here. I wanted to dazzle you. But I have nothing to dazzle you with. All I give you today is me, humble. I started to think again I was in control. Big mistake. I'm a very, very young Christian. I finally started praying. And I didn't pray that God would help me with the sermon. I prayed because I love Jesus. And I prayed to Him. I prayed to Him, forgive me for thinking that I was in control. I, I, I was doing a sermon, but I wasn't honoring God. I was honoring me because I wanted to impress people. I reached out to the brothers in our cohort, again, who were much smarter and much more educated than me, but since I am the youngest and the handsomest, <laughs> and I got the mic, I asked them to pray for me. I went to Dorn and Eric and David and Corey, and I never asked really a whole lot of people to pray for me because I didn't know how. I thought it was weird. And I asked them to pray for me, and they did. And after that, I could feel the Holy Spirit in my life. I could feel him inside me fighting, saying, get up off your feet, get out of your pity pot, and let's do this. Go give him the word. I never really realized what our pastors went through. I, I took everything for granted because I took everything from them. Every word that they gave up here, I held on to. Because they were teaching me, because it was all about me. And I want to tell you something, what I learned in the last few weeks. These men fight a war day in and day out for us. They fight for us, our church our people. So later when you go home, I have a request from you, please. Get away from everybody and get humble and pray for these men. They pray for our church. You pray for them. I want to read you something that someone wrote to me when I first started this. I know you're on the fence about your job 
and a man that's returning. I want you to stop and pray about it. I want you to stop and pray. Ask yourself, who is God? What is God trying to tell you in this situation? Whatever you feel you need to do, I will support you. I will be here. But you need to be at peace with your decisions, and you need to be at peace knowing God has led you through this situation. You need to be at peace, Don. The devil is full on attacking you right now. So really look at what's happening and pray that your decisions are God-led. I'm sorry. That was on my heart this morning. So I needed to share it with you. Have a great day. I love you, Rhonda. That was the lady for 41 years that has picked me up. Now I want to tell you my name. (laughs) My name's Don Clark. Oh, don't stand at attention. (laughs) I'm a covenant member of the church. I belong to the Troy MC, and big shout out to the Troy people. I love my brothers and sisters from my MC. I'm 61-year-old retired Marine. I'm married to my high school sweetheart of 41 years. I have two amazing children, Donnie and Adrian. Adrian's married to Tim Fisk, and Donnie's married to the beautiful Jennifer Clark. Between them, their two families, they have seven grandchildren, some of which are here. Lily and Rowan. Lily's going to be a Georgia fan. (laughs) My mom's here. Her name's Rosemary, and she loves me. Despite everything I've put her through, she still loves me. My dad's here with me in spirit, and my dad's the one that, uh, that molded me. Someone from the Marine Corps said one time, boy, the Marine Corps really did you good. And I corrected him. I said, no, sir, they didn't. My father set the stage for where I'm going and what I'm doing. My dad was the dad. My two sisters, Sally and Angie, are here that love me unconditionally also. From freezing their clothes in the freezer in high school (laughs) to drinking their beer when the time came. (laughs) So my family's here just as always to support me like they always have. I would like to thank Corey and David and anybody that knows David you can pretty much read what's on David's face. And I know several times I drove David nuts. I could tell by the way he wanted to. 
I want to thank Justin, Joey, Gabe, and Doran, and Eric. And I also want to thank a man by the name of Steve Farrow. Steve Farrow came from the Naval Academy. He was, when I first met him, he was a second lieutenant. He took me under his wing. He taught me humility. He taught me kindness. And he also sat me down, me being a big egotistical Marine, he sat me down and did Bible studies with me on his own time. And majority of the time when I call him now, he lets me, me talk. And then the ego inside me has to say, hey, did you ask Steve how he's doing? But Steve's always been that gracious person just to let me talk. I love him like a brother. Always will. Most importantly in my life is my sweet wife. I didn't say anything to anybody today because I wanted to be the one. I want to wish you a happy birthday. Today's Rhonda's birthday. <clears throat> I love you, Rhonda. To all the folks here and to the people watching, I'm extremely honored and humbled to be here. I would like to tell you briefly how I became, how I became a member of Heights Church. First of all, I want to clear the air on something. Looking back, though it was four years ago, I never really wanted to beat up Corey. <laughs> Although I did think about it. Until we met, then I sized him up, realizing he's head and shoulders taller than I am. <clears throat> and probably give him no greater joy to brag that, hey, I just beat up a 60-year-old man <laughs> that can't raise his arms because he's got bad shoulders. Seriously. Met with Corey. And when I called him, he said, Yeah, we, we can meet, but we have to meet in public. <laughs> I was like, Okay. <clears throat> now, let me tell you how I got here. My daughter came here first. She came here. And I was going to a Catholic church. I was going to the Catholic Church. I was raised Catholic. My mother believed to give her children a belief in God and to teach us, and she did. And she, she had us in church, and we were learning. I wanted Rhonda and Adrian and Donnie and my family, all of us, to go to the same church together. I wanted us to be sitting in the same church so I would ask Rhonda to go with me to the Catholic Church. And she would go. She went because she loved me. She wasn't happy there. So when Adrian asked her to go, she went. Which really made me mad. 
became resentful for the first time in the thir- at that time, 36 or 37 years of marriage. There was some doubt whether we were going to be a couple after this. Because that had split. So, I decided what I would do is go to the Catholic Church on Saturdays and go to Heights on Sundays. I wanted to really not like it here. It was important to me to not like it here because I would be in control again. I would be the leader of our family. And I'd be in control. So I went the first week on a, on a Sunday. And on Saturday, <clears throat> or I went the first week on a Saturday evening. Then I went to the first Sunday Corey was preaching. I thought, oh, here's this punk again. <laughs> I, got, <clears throat> I got to listen to him. So I listened. I was so excited about coming back the next week. I was, and I tell Corey this, you are not my pastor. He's a teacher. He teaches us day in and day out. So I continued to go back and forth. I couldn't wait to go back to Heights Church. I would sit in the other services. Finally one day, about halfway through, I decided it's time to go. I didn't want to tell my mom. I was 57 years old. My mother had led me to the Catholic Church. I didn't want to let down my mom that I loved dearly. So finally, at 58, I grew up. (laughs) And I went to tell my mom, hey, this is what I want to do. Because any person that knows me knows that I am one tough mama's boy. So I went to my mom, and my mom told me, Don, your dad was Southern Baptist, and uh, I, we talked, and we decided we'd raise you Catholic. When you got old enough, <clears throat> you could make your own decision. Well, I'm thinking to myself, 57? <laughs> Men. I also thought, Mom, why didn't you tell me this like 20 years ago? I mean... <laughs> So later on, I stayed at Heights Church, and I looked around one day, and all the things that I had prayed for, to have my family in church, I looked down the aisle, and they were all there. And if you look now, the funny part about it is, they're all there now. I told Corey this one time, that things happen for me when I pray. He said, really? So what are you praying for now, Don? He said, I'd like to be six foot tall. (laughs) He just shook his head and did the Dave look like, oh. (laughs) Today I'm preaching from 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 
Please bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, I pray you calm me down and slow me down. I pray you give me strong words to preach. Father God, thank you for the many blessings you have given me. Thank you for allowing me to be the vessel to preach your word. Amen. Now, as they say in the Marine Corps, let's kick in some doors. <laughs> let's discuss the scripture. Tighten your chin straps, pull your pack straps tight, and let's hit it. For a short period of time, I want to take you back to around 49 to 51 A.D., don't stand in attention. The other men that preached before you set the stage for us. Here's a recap. In Acts 17, verse 4, Paul and Silas were traveling around through different towns preaching, and they came to Thessalonica. Paul went to the synagogue for three consecutive services. I'm sorry, for three consecutive Sabbaths. Using the scriptures, he reasoned with the people and explained the prophecies to them. He talked to them. And proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. Then he said this, that Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some listened and some believed. I feel this is necessary to be said because one thing in my life I, perp I, I wondered was how did they get from Thessalonica, Paul visiting, to now he's writing a letter to them? Something had to happen in between. So he went there, he preached, he's seen them, he talked to them, he converted them, basically. So now where are we at? Now Paul's writing a letter to the Thessalonians. So what's the sermon about today? What's the big idea and what, what, do, what do I want you to take from this? What's God want you to take from this? The big idea is this. We have encouragement in the resurrection. We have encouragement in the resurrection. In John 2, verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So let's look deeper and unpack this. At the time, Timothy went and visited Thessalonica. He came back to Paul and told him, hey, the Thessalonians were struggling to understand God's return. There was some false preaching at that time, and they were, they were struggling to understand certain things. Recently, some of the believers had died. Some of the Thessalonians had died. 
the Thessalonians were concerned if the people died before the coming of Christ, what would happen to them? They're dead. So there was some confusion at that time in the church. In chapter 4, 13 through 18, Paul will address their confusion directly. Notice in verse 13 exactly what Paul writes. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What he's telling you is you're a Christian. You have hope. You have hope. You don't need to grieve. He's encouraging them. Part of the big idea, encouraging them. Paul's telling them, though, that your grief and your hopelessness is because you don't understand what God's perspective is. Some of the other reference materials that I was given from Corey and David, I read... The Thessalonians believed that Christ was coming soon. That's where they were concerned. They thought Christ was going to come on their watch. So this is why Paul is so direct with them in their letters, in his letters. He wants to end the confusion. And We've all known, or I've learned, that Paul's a great teacher. Also, if you read his writings, a very great writer. In verse 14, Paul is reminding them of the Christian faith. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through God, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. They refer to it as fallen asleep because death is final. Fallen asleep is the resurrection. Why is Paul speaking about the resurrection? Why, why, what, what, is a re, what is his reasoning around speaking are talking to him about the resurrection. It's to take them back to the very basics of faith. That is, the, the basic fact of faith is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Simple. Not simple resurrection. I need to caveat that. Everybody in the preaching cohort said, don't say resurrection, simple. (laughs) It's simple. Without the death and resurrection, there is no hope. There is no hope. So what is it? That's back to the big idea of encouragement. 
Paul's giving them another sign of hope. Verse 15, for this we declare to you. Note, now listen closely. By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed, will not proceed those who have fallen asleep. So if you're still alive, when Christ comes, you're not going first. He's given them direction to how it's going to happen. The only way to simplify this, especially for me, it's like putting together a model. If you put step four together first, it's probably going to fall apart. This is the first step. Paul's focus in the passage is encouragement and directness. He was also trying to comfort them about their dead loved ones. Listen, listen closely again. In verse 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Any question in anybody's mind? No better words of encouragement could have been given to the Thessalonians. No better word, because he's coming. Not Paul, not Timothy, not Silas. He is coming. With a cry of command, he tells them, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet, with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So let me think. If you're out someplace and you hear a cry of command, the voice of an archangel or the trumpet These three things, a short cry of command, voice of an archangel, and a trumpet, that's God's call to us. I'm coming. I'm coming now. Not really just to the Thessalonians, if you think about it, though. But to all Christians, Jesus is coming. This call will be loud enough to reach those who are alive and those whose bodies are in the grave. It will be that that sound, that magnitude, that greatness of God. Paul tells them the order, tells them the order in which the church will be caught up to be with Christ. Verses 16 and 17. He is again reassuring and encouraging the church. 
that those believers who die will not miss Christ's return. Some of, the, some of the Thessalonians thought they had already missed it. If you look closely at Paul, he drives his point home by writing these words of encouragement. The dead will rise first. Then the living. Next he tells him, the risen and the living will all together, will meet all together. I'm sorry. Next he tells them, the risen and the living will all gather in the clouds and meet the Lord. We're all going together. Paul's writing in these five verses to encourage us and it's to educate us into calming the anxieties the Thessalonians were having. Same with us. Christ's return will bring relief. The truth of Christ's coming brings more than just hope of a reunion. It also brings a promise of what he said in the beginning, and that's deliverance. In closing, we don't know the day or the date or the time. That's a fact we don't. I ask you, why does Jesus' coming give you hope? If not, why does it not give you hope? Are you prepared for him to come? If not, I want to share this hope and encouragement with you. The scriptures tell us in Romans. Romans 23, 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in sin, that is in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners and are sinners, I definitely... Christ died for us. Even though we're sinning and doing, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God rose Him from the dead you will be saved. And Corey said something last week that's true too. You must work. You must work. If you believe knowing you're a sinner, 
knowing the penalty for sin is death, knowing God loves you no matter what, and confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe God rose him from the dead, you are saved. Then you will have hope. And you will be prepared for him for the second coming. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all together. Thank you for bringing my family here. Thank you for allowing me to be the vessel. Thank you for all the encouragement of all the men that were here with us. Thank you for the encouragement of my wife. Just thank you for our church and for our leaders. Amen. Amen.